All right, I couldn't find my button. I'm going to go ahead, Mark, if you and Ezra want to come on up. Where is the microphone for Mark? C-Dub's got it. Oh, perfect. So everything that we're singing about, how many of you know that it's wonderful to be able to actually see in real life and in person what we sing about, what we pray about, and what we declare? So... Well, good morning. So, uh, this is Ezra. Ezra is about eight years old. And uh, when we got him, we named him Ezra. I'm sorry. If you can, back the camera so that you can see Ezra. I want everybody at Facebook home (laughs) to be able to see this. All right. So, so we named Ezra because in Hebrew, Ezra means helper. What better name for a work dog, right? So, you know, the thing is, is every morning, uh, you know, we get up, our dogs sleep on the, in our mud room. We get up in the morning, we let the dogs out and, and uh, wait for coffee to brew and brush our teeth and get ready for the day. And, and we let the dogs in. And well, when, uh, when Amy uh, let Ezra and our other dog Jade in, Amy came to me and she said, hey, she said, something's wrong with Ezra. <laughs> And I said, so what, what do you mean? She says, I don't know, but something's wrong. So I went to look at him, and his pupils were dilated really huge. And uh, he couldn't see. He was, he was, he was blind. Uh, so we went outside to do chores, and it felt like he, you know, outside he was a little better. Maybe he could see some shadows, but he would just follow our voice. And so I got on my got on my iPad and I started looking at why dogs would go blind suddenly. I mean, he was fine the night before and I'm not kidding. He was stone blind the next Wednesday morning. He was running into things. Well, yeah. He was so, like, obviously he could not was, see. Absolutely. Right? It was, it was kind of really hard to watch because coming from our mudroom into the house, there's one step and he couldn't navigate that one step. Even once he was in the house and even outside, he couldn't walk through the door he was hitting on each side of the door, trying to follow our voice. So obviously blind. So I got a, I, I called our vet and I left him a message. I said, hey, I need to talk to you right away. Well, he hadn't called. And they opened at 8 o'clock and Amy had a great idea. And Amy said, I'll tell you what. She said, let's just load him up and we're going to be sitting at the vet's office when they open. So that's exactly what we did. And I went in. I said, hey, I've, I've got a dog I need you to see right away. And I carried him in, same thing, he, he couldn't see. So we waited there a little bit, and, and uh, the vet got there. He's been my vet, he's been my small animal vet forever. And so as we're walking him back to the examination room, he kind of nods his head, he said, I think I know what's going on. And so we put him on the examination table, and he used his little eye thing, and he's looking in his eyes, and he says, your dog has sards. And I said, what is SARDS? And he gave, gave me this little handout. It's Sudden Acquired Retinal Degeneration Syndrome. They don't know what causes it. He said, your dog's blind. And I'm like, man, you're kidding, right? Um, he goes everywhere with us. He's either with Amy or me. We move, when we move cattle, he's with us. It's a competition who gets to ride on the side-by-side with you. <laughs> exactly. With Ezra. And, <laughs> Amy, I mean, if Amy gets a seat or not. <laughs> exactly. You know, the thing is, is it's not like he's a house dog that sits in, in, you know, in front of the fire all the time. He's a goer and a doer. And it broke my heart. It really did. He and said, what did the vet tell you about it being cured? Was there any right. treatment? He, it, and that's exactly what he'd said. Is He said, well, he said, there is a canine ophthalmologist over in Loveland. He says, you're more than welcome to go see him, but there's nothing they can do. Your dog is blind. And he said, he said, my suggestion to you is you need to go home and blind dog proof your house. He said, you need to watch where the coffee table's at, take away things that he's going to run something into his eye. Not that he needs them, but (laughs) he said, so just, just really, you're going to have to blind dog proof your home. So we're like, man, this is miserable. And I mean, Amy and I, we, we wept together it, because, like I said, he goes and does everything with us. And you can't do a lot with a blind dog. We already have one of those. 
So uh, we were going uh, to my brother-in-law and sister-in-law's to help them on Wednesday. So we went ahead and loaded him up in the car and, and just was going to take him with us. And on the way, we just started praying and we asked those around us just to pray. And I remember um, speaking to Sards is because I, 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 I remember sitting in the car I was driving and, and speaking to Sards, saying that Sards has to kneel in the name of Jesus. That he has, that Sards has to kneel to the name of Jesus, has to bow to the name of Jesus. And that since I am, since he is mine, that, that I have dominion over and I steward over my animals. And I ask God to heal him. And it was really crazy because driving in the car, looking in the rearview mirror, he was riding all the way in the back. And his eyes, you could see all the way, you know, kind of like when you see a dog in a, or eyes in a reflection. The reflection, it, it was just green all the way to the back, and they were big. And I kept seeing that. It was eerie looking to me in my rearview mirror. And we went up 287. <clears throat> And it seemed like something was changing. In the rearview mirror, I could see in his eyes, it seemed like something was changing. And Amy was praying. We were both kind of halfway crying and praying. Not that we were going to put him down, but it's just tough with a blind dog. So we got out at the rest area at on 287 between uh, Fort Collins and Laramie. And I, I looked at Amy. I said, you know what? I think he's getting better. She goes, I don't know. He ran into that tree. <laughs> So we, uh, we thought, okay, I thought, well, maybe that's just wishful thinking. So by the time we got to my brother-in-law and sister-in-law's, we got him out of the car. And lo and behold, if he didn't run over to a telephone pole and relieve himself. And I, I actually told my sister-in-law, I said, I, I, I think he's better. She goes, well, he can see that telephone pole. And you know what? And right now, this dog can see 100%. Yes. You know? <laughs> you know, the thing is, is, is for you guys out there, you guys watching on Facebook, you know, the thing is, is sometimes it feels selfish to, po to possibly pray for your dog. Um, you know, that you'd think it would be selfish that, oh, man, you know, uh, would, would God heal my dog? Would God heal my horse? Would God heal whatever you want to pray about? The thing is, is yeah, he can because he made them. And one last thing that I'll share with you is I was talking to C-Dub on my way home the next day. And I was, we were just talking about how wonderful it was and that God did that. And as I was talking to C-Dub, you know, I was, I, was, I, was in, I was in awe of what God did for us. But I heard God very clearly say to me, I didn't do it for him. I did it for you. So you know what, you guys? So today, he'll do it for you. My dog has no faith. I do. But he did it for me. And he does care about your animals because he cares about you. So, thank you guys. Love you all. Amen. Amen. So, here's what I want to do. If you are believing for healing in your physical body, if you're believing for healing in your animal, if you're believing for healing for someone that you know, Ezra's right here. I want you just to stretch your hands out towards Ezra right now as a contact point for our faith. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you are the God of miracles. I thank you, God, that there is no end to your goodness and to your reach and to the touch of your hand. So, Father, for those people that we're praying for, for those animals that we're praying for, for the individuals, us that are praying for ourselves, Father, we reach our hands towards Ezra and we take hold of the testimony of what you did in his eyes, that it is a miracle healing that takes place. And, Father, we thank you for the miracle that is on its way, that is in progress, that is working and being released right now in my life and in those that I'm praying for. And I thank you, Father, that I receive what you have done and I thank you for healing Ezra and that you are doing the work on my behalf in my life in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Yes. <laughs> 
Ezra is a good sport for being here today. <laughs> so I do want to say that Gen Now High School people, are Gen Now High School people, where is Joshua? He's already gone. All right. If you're a high school person, uh, your leader is leaving. So if you want to go with Josh and Nicole, they're going to be, uh, can I have that folder right there? They're taking the high school young adults and they're going to do something that they think is cooler than what we're going to do in here, but they are wrong. So, <laughs> right? <laughs> so my name is Lynette. For those of you that I have not had the opportunity to introduce myself and shake your hand before, I have the honor of being married to Darren. That's my job. That's what I get to do. And I want to say, I want to welcome Heather Johnson in the house this morning. We're honored to have you here. Yes. Uh, how many of you love to receive gifts? It doesn't make you selfish. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're materialistic. Heck yeah, I like getting get good ones, right? I like good gifts. How many of you have ever gotten those things? And you're like, thanks. I don't know what I'm going to do with this. I'm not even really sure what it is, but thanks. <laughs> no, getting gifts. I love getting gifts, but how many of you are in this boat with me? More than getting gifts, I love giving gifts. How many of you, how many of you are there with me? I love to give gifts to the point that when I find something that is for someone or I'm somewhere and I think, oh my gosh, that is perfect for so-and-so, but like their birthday isn't until this time. Or if I'm looking for a specific gift, Darren is one that we in our home agree is a challenge to buy a gift or get a gift for. So we're always looking for that thing that is going to produce. We're wanting in our home, we're wanting an emotional reaction from him. That's what we're looking for. Like if we could get a tear or even an elevation in voice level, like that for us is like, we're all like, yes, through the goalposts, we did it. So whenever we find something, we get it. And then I have to hide it from myself so that I don't give it to him because I'm just so excited because I'm hoping that there will be some sort of reaction from him when I give him that gift. Anybody with me that you have to like put it away? I can't hide it under a place under the bed or someplace that I go every day that's easily accessible to me because I will be like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to give it to him. I'm just going to have to give it to him now. My daughter is the same way. If she gets me something, it may be like Mother's Day was on a Sunday, but she's like, Mom, I should give it to you now because Sunday morning we get up and go to church. So, you know, today's Thursday. I'm pretty sure we're going to be busy Friday and Saturday. So I should give it to you now. She's the same way. She inherited that same quality about her. It's an interesting thing because in James chapter one, which is where we were reading from last week, I want to read James chapter one in verse two to you. I think it's verse two um, out of the message translation. And it says this, it says, consider it a sheer gift friends when tests and challenges come at you from all sides, consider it a sheer gift gift, my friends, all sides. Now I have received what I consider to be some pretty phenomenal gifts in my life. I have, uh, I have had the honor of receiving some family heirlooms that have been passed down from generation to generation in my family. And I now get to be the one who gets to hold those heirlooms and I look forward to passing them on to my children. I have um, the ministry notes. I have the book that my great-great-grandfather carried. He was a circuit rider preacher in Texas. And I have the book that he carried with him that were his sermon notes. And they are handwritten. And that was given to me. 
That is one of the most precious things that I have. I have a pocket watch that was given to me that is very precious to me. I have a compact that my grandmother used to carry in her purse that uh, really nobody else would have any value attached to it. It's worthless to anyone else, but to me, it's quite priceless. I have pieces of jewelry that have been remade and um, given to me that were made from stones and parts of other family members that are now mine. And so these are all gifts and things that I have that are very precious. And like I say, to somebody else, it might not mean anything to them. But to me, they're very, very valuable. But I can say that probably, not probably, it is the most valuable gift that I've ever received in my life is my children. I consider them to be my greatest blessing. My husband and I are honored to have two amazing children. Our son is 19. He is in Texas, and my daughter is getting ready to be a senior this year. She just traipsed off to the back because apparently she thinks Josh has something better to say than me. So (laughs) anyway, (laughs) so the thing of it is, though, is that all of these gifts that I look at and that I count in my life, just being very honest, tests trials, challenges, difficulties, hard times. Not once have I sent a thank you card to anyone for any of those. Not once have I looked at that and said, that is a great gift. I'm really glad that they found that one for me. I have never been going through a difficult situation and thought, praise the Lord for this is the greatest gift that I've ever received. That has not come out of my lips until I started studying some of this out. So I want to share with you today, we're going to continue from last week. If you weren't here for last week's message, you can go back and you can listen to it on Facebook or you can get onto our website, n3c.tv, for those of you that are joining in, and you can listen to it there. But I want to just continue straight forward. If you didn't hear last week, you can go back and listen to it, but you're going to be able to jump right in this week. You're not going to miss out uh, the meaning of this week's message from last week. So Tess and challenges, trials. I mentioned last week all of the different translations, King James, New King James, the Passion Translation, the Message Translation, all of them put different words in there for tests and challenges and trials. But the Bible tells us here in the Message Translation that we should consider it a sheer gift, nothing else. When he says a sheer gift, he's saying absolutely, positively, there's no part of it that is anything but a gift for you. Now, when my mom gives a gift to me, she always gives me the gift receipt and it follows up. She gives me the gift. And then she says, if you don't like it, you can exchange it. Okay. How many of you would like a gift receipt on 2020? I would like to exchange that. Where are you at? Where is the counter that we take that back to, right? Okay, so I want to read James chapter 1 to you out of the New King James translation. And then I want to break it down for you a little bit because I think this is going to give us a pretty cool perspective. So James chapter 1 starting in verse 2 in the New King James says this. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect worth, work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Yay. <laughs> I really like the lacking nothing part, but can we just highlight the rest of that in black? Because that I'm not so much into, right? But let me break this down in verse 3. It says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. When you go and you study that out and you break that down in the Greek, which I just, I am not a Greek scholar. I just have really cool tools because I'm a pastor. So I have stuff that I can look stuff up with and it makes me sound super intelligent. So I just look this stuff up. You can do the same thing with Google and sound really impressive to your friends. So if you look this up and you study it out and you break it down in the Greek, what's interesting is when it says the testing of your faith, when you go back and you look that up in the Greek, the word your should not be there. 
And actually, the way that this verse would read is like this. It would say, knowing the proven trustworthiness of God's divine persuasion, God's faith in you is complete in power to be unswerved from your purpose. So what's interesting is it says that the testing of your faith, we take that word your out and the word testing actually means to be proven trustworthy. So actually, when you read this verse and it says the testing of your faith, you think, oh man, that means I'm going to have to be put through some really difficult stuff and my faith is going to be tested and I don't know what that's going to look like. Am I going to pass or am I going to fail? Actually, when you break this down, what it's saying to us is that when you go through hard times, that it is a proving of the reality of the realness of God's faith in you and his power in you and his unswerving destiny for you in the midst of that trial. That's what this is actually saying to us. So if you remove the your, what we find out is that it's actually God's faith in us that is coming out and is proven real, proven honest, proven reliable in times of difficulty. I remember, I don't even know how long ago it was. I remember Darren was studying in Matthew chapter 22, or I'm sorry, Matthew eleven twenty-two, and it says... Have faith in God. It's the same thing in that verse. When you break that down in the Greek, actually what it says, and it's translated this way in the Passion Translation, that Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark eleven twenty two says, have the faith of God. And I remember the first time Darren said that to me, have the faith of God. I was like, are you out of your ever loving mind? How am I supposed to have the faith of God? That's like unreachable to me. How am I supposed to attain to that level of faith? But very simply, the scripture says to us, the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. And when the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you, the faith of God is in you through his spirit. So that when you go through hard times, you're not trying to make it through like a bulldog just by sheer determination and your own power. You are in a place like that with the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit's strength comes up because the faith of God is in you and is proven reliable, trustworthy, and real when you go through hard times that are apparently to be viewed as a gift (laughs) according to the scripture. So tests and challenges being a gift. As I said, my kids are to me the greatest gift that we have. And uh, when Riata was born, she is, like I said, she's 17 now. Um, when Riata was born, I remember I, I had my babies at home with a midwife and uh, laying in the bed and Darren sitting there with me and my midwife. And when Riata was born, she put her right up on my chest and immediately she started, you know, they, they start testing them and looking at all of the hands and the fingers and looking at everything to make sure that everything is okay. And her attention was drawn to Riata's feet. And it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't even a minute and she was concerned about Riata's feet. And when Riata was born, her feet, like if your feet and your legs are supposed to be like, like this, her feet turned completely inward to where the outsides of her feet touched together. They were totally crooked, that if she were to walk, she would be walking on the outsides and the tops of her feet. When she pointed this out, she kept turning her feet and seeing what the reflex and how they would just continually go back. And she begin to talk about Riata's feet. This is before the umbilical cord is cut. This is before anything. Right away, this is what happens. And as she's talking about Riata's feet, I remember the first thing that came to me was, what did I do wrong? 
<laughs> like little things started coming up in me. Like, well, we rode a roller coaster and I remember I rode go-karts. I wonder if like I jiggled something wrong, you know, like, did I jiggle all the fluid out? <laughs> did it have enough room to swim around in there or what? But I started thinking, okay, I remember I, I mean, this is what happened. Like, I remember I forgot to take my multivitamin a couple of times and I remember, you know, maybe I didn't drink enough water. Did I, uh, was I not, you know, doing this? Did I not do that? Did I exercise too hard? Did I, what did I do? And immediately all of these things come to say, what did I do wrong? That this person, this little person that has no fault of any kind, she just took a breath, is something wrong with her? But I'm the one who carried her, so it must be me. And feeling guilty and feeling shame, feeling guilty uh, for my husband, like I'm the one who messed our baby up, and thinking, you know, God, this is my fault. And feeling all of these, this weight coming on me. And I understand that there are people in the room that you've dealt with much more serious situations than crooked feet. But the accusation comes. That's where you know what I'm talking about. So when trials come, there's an opportunity for two things. And I want to share these two things with you today. And the first one, when trials come, is an opportunity for accusation and disqualification. And just like I just said, whenever something happens, whether it's the, I mean, I remember being in the place where we had no money and there was still a whole lot of month left and thinking, what did I do wrong? You know, um, being in a place where your car is having car trouble and it's going to, you weren't planning on that expense that month. What did I do wrong? What did I do to deserve this? How many have had that come through your head? When your dog wakes up blind, what did I do wrong? So immediately what the enemy wants to do is when you are going through a trial or a difficulty, the enemy comes to tell you the lie that you're going through this because you did something wrong. You're the one who caused this. You're the one who brought this on. You're the one who opened the door. And because of you, this bad thing is happening. So you just need to suck it up, buttercup, and do the best you can through this. Don't ask for help. How can you ask for help when you're the one who did it wrong? Is that even fair to go to God when you're the one who screwed it up? Can you go to God when you screwed it up? So here's the thing. Is that the, the, and we pray for those of us that are prayers. And we, we pray and say, God, forgive me when I do wrong. But then when something happens, then you think, well, did I ask for forgiveness right. Maybe I didn't repent right. Maybe I didn't repent enough. Maybe I didn't speak in Elizabethan English. Maybe I need to repent in King James language, right? Like we try to find a reason or a rhyme for why is this happening? But here's the deal. I want to ask you, is this a truth or is this a lie? Second Corinthians 5:17 in the New King James translation says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, who is anyone?" Are you an anyone? So if anyone, if you are in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Is that truth or is that a lie? It is truth. Therefore, let's look at Romans 8.1 in the Passion Translation. It says this. So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. Is that truth or is that a lie? He says there is no voice of condemnation. That includes our own voice. Because nobody can accuse me the way I can accuse me because I know what I'm thinking right? <laughs> I, know, I know what I was thinking in that moment. And I'm like, Ooh, but the scripture is either true or it's not. So when we go through trials, is it an opportunity to examine ourselves? Yes. 
It is. The scripture tells us, I'm just going to give the reference, Second Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Now, when we have hard times, when we go through trials, it is an opportunity for us to humble ourselves and say, God, is there anything that you would like to point out to me? Is there anywhere that I have left a door open? Is there anything that I have left undone? Are you putting your finger on something that you are wanting me to see so that I can get that taken care of now so that it doesn't come up in later times? Yes. But when it says examine yourselves, it goes on and says to see whether you are in the faith. When we examine ourselves, we are to examine ourselves through the lens and the truth of the word. Not through the lens of comparing ourselves to anyone else, to what we think we should look like, what we think we should act like, what we think we should be like, and where we think we should be in this season of our life. So when it says examine yourself, everywhere that you see that in the Bible, it will tell you to examine yourself, but it gives you the parameters that you are to use when examining yourself. And those parameters are the eyes of God. It is not anybody else's eyes. It's not what anybody else tells you you should be like. It's not what any other standard is put on you in the world today through any other source other than the word of God. And when we examine ourselves according to the word of God, what happens is we look at ourselves through the lens of God, but very quickly our eyes are turned immediately to him because to get into this self-examination, this introspection, all of this inward thinking is a very dangerous path to take because if God isn't putting his finger on anything, I can make something up. If I don't hear something right away from God, I can make it up because I know me. So I can begin to make accusation against myself. But when we ask God, Lord, examine me, here's what we find is in Psalms 139 in the Passion Translation, verse 23 says this, this is how we examine ourselves. God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. See if there is any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious everlasting ways. The path that brings me back to you. When we are examining ourselves and invite God's eyes in immediately, what happens is our focus in our heart is turned to God. But when we're in the situation of, God, what did I do wrong? What door did I leave open? What sin am I carrying that I don't even know that I have? Where is the focus? It's all inward. But when we begin to ask God to examine us, we're putting our focus and our heart on God, listening for his insight. And when a good father brings correction, he brings it because of love. A good father does not bring and put a finger and say, hey, you know this place right here in your heart? You're carrying some bitterness and unforgiveness right here. He doesn't slap you upside the head. He doesn't beat you and he doesn't abuse you for it. He puts a finger on it and says, let's take care of this together. That's the way a good father does. Now, when we come from that posture When we go through difficulties in hard times, when we're viewing things from that perspective, how do we come to God not hindered by guilt, not hindered by the lie of shame, not hindered by the lie of regret? When we come to God, then we come to him as Hebrews 4.16 says, so now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned to receive mercies, kiss, And discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. When you're not carrying self-accusation and the question of what did I do wrong? I'm the one that made this happen. I'm guilty for this. I'm the one that deserves this. When you're not carrying that lie, you have no problem boldly going to the throne of God, asking for help, asking for strength, asking for him to give you a path to guide you through because you're no longer staring at yourself. You're looking at God and saying, God, show me how you want me to navigate this. And I'm going to be 
bold. I'm going to be courageous and I'm going to be very forward and coming right before you and putting myself right in front of you and saying, God, I need your help. And then we go back to James where it says that his faith rises up on the inside of us. So that's the process. So when Riata was born and her feet were crooked, the midwife told us, you're going to need to get her to a specialist right away. Because if she starts moving and crawling, she will be walking on the outside of her feet and it will affect her entire skeletal structure. We had less than no money. It was all we could do to pay the midwife to birth our baby. So when she says you need to get her to a specialist, okay, now we're not just talking cha-ching doctor, we're talking cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching specialist, right? So what did we do? We started praying because we could either believe God for the money to take her to a specialist, or we could believe God for her to be healed. So every time Darren would hold her, he would hold her like this and he would rub her feet. He would stretch her feet out and he would rub those tendons on her legs. He would rub her feet with oil and he would speak over her and he would say that she was strong and that she was going to run strong and that her legs were straight and her feet were straight. And every time he would hold that little girl, he would straighten her feet out and he would speak to those feet. I don't know if any of you saw her get up and walk out of her, but she don't walk on the outside of her feet. God healed her feet. God does amazing things when we come boldly to him. But if we were to sit around and bellyache and whine and gripe about how our daughter's feet are crooked, that's not going boldly to the throne. I can tell you, if you go before the throne bellyaching like that, God will tell you, hey, you need to shut that up. This ain't no place for that, right? So two ways, two opportunities when we go through trials. The first one is opportunity for accusation and disqualification. And the second one is the one that we read in James 1-2. And out of the Passion Translation, it says it this way that it is an opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. When you go through a trial, it is an opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you have ever, ever even imagined and dreamed of experiencing. See, God wants us to experience this level of great joy But we cannot experience this level, this kind, this elevation of joy until we learn to view trials as an opportunity for God's faith to rise up on the inside of us and to experience the strength of God's faith in action for us. That is where great joy comes from is when we're not looking at trials like we're going to be taken down, when we're not looking at difficulties like how do I get out of this, when we're not looking at hard times as what did I do wrong, but we're looking at a trial as an opportunity to experience a new level of God that we have not yet experienced. And if this trial is coming into my life, it means that God is wanting to take me to a new level of strength. And that new level of strength is not a place that I can get to by taking the easy road and sitting in my easy chair and eating Cheetos and not doing nothing. I'm going to have to go through some resistance in order to develop the strength that God wants me to have because God knows where he's taking me. God knows the purpose that he has for me and God knows the strength that I'm going to have to have to get there and to stay there and to maintain the land that he's giving me once I get there. I cannot be complacent and expect that I'm going to have all the strength I need by sitting around. This is a really good picture. Our physical bodies are a really good picture of this concept because you cannot develop more strength with no resistance. 
you're going to have to experience resistance against your muscles in order for your muscles to get stronger, to get bigger, for you to have more strength. You can sit and lift the remote all day long and ain't bicep getting no bigger, right? You can lift that fried chicken to your mouth all day long, but it is not building a six pack. Now, I am not speaking against fried chicken. Don't get it twisted right now. Everybody hear me. There is good fried chicken, all right? And it's worth lifting that to your mouth. But it's not going to help your muscles. It's going to help your taste buds, make you want to slap your mama. But you have to have resistance to get stronger. So God knows that when we go through difficult times, when we hit resistance... He's looking at it as an opportunity for his faith to rise up in us and us to experience a new aspect of who he is because I've not encountered this difficulty before. I've not been here before. And it's just like in Nehemiah chapter 8 in verse 10. It's back there where your Bible pages are still stuck together and nobody reads there, but everybody knows this scripture. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's probably the only scripture anybody knows out of Nehemiah, but it's a really good one. The joy of the Lord is our strength. What that means, it it means literally in the Hebrew, the exceeding gladness of our God himself is our refuge. It is our rock. It is our hiding place. And in the Hebrew, it's actually a picture of a harbor. So when when a ship is going through a storm, When the ship storm hits, (laughs) God is your harbor. God is the place of calm. God is the place of safe. God is the place of peace. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So if the joy of the Lord is our strength, when we go through hard times, count it all joy. Because the strength of God is rising up on the inside of you. And it's the opportunity for us to experience God in a way that we've never experienced him before. Because God is faithful. Amen? So, the, the resistance brings strength. And time brings endurance. You don't build up your endurance by running to the refrigerator. Darn, right? (laughs) You build up endurance by longevity. You build up endurance. So if your breakthrough isn't coming right now, praise God for the ones that come immediately. But what if you've been walking this out? For days. What have you been walking for months? What if you've been walking for years? Your endurance is being built over time. Because here is what James tells us. Let's read it through again. And and let's start in verse 3. It says, For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then... As your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. So I called this message the art of endurance because the art of endurance is coming to this place to endure through hard times, through difficulties, and to develop the strength as you do to coming into the place of perfection, of lacking nothing, and of nothing missing in your life. I want you just to think about that right now. When he says lacking nothing and nothing missing in your life, that means nothing. That means that anything that you could possibly think of has already been provided for. It's already been taken care of. God's already walked through it and you've seen the provision. You've seen the breakthrough. You've seen everything happen to where you literally are in the place of needing nothing because you lack nothing. The art 
of enduring is coming into that place of living, but still experiencing the beauty of the sensation of hunger. Because when you and I are in the place of lacking nothing, we must still hunger for God. And it is a sad thing and it is a difficult thing to watch people who have developed a lifestyle of only running to God when things are hard. Because I know that that is a person who will be running to God over and over and over, not because he is good, but because they haven't learned to be in the place of lacking nothing, but to still be desperately hunger for him. It's just like the angels, that the Bible tells us that the angels in heaven for all of eternity have been encircling the throne. And every time they encircle the throne, all of the angels in heaven are shouting, holy, holy, holy. Because for all of eternity, every time they encircle the throne of God, they discover a new aspect, a new depth, a new color, a new dimension of who he is. So you and I have the opportunity to add to the beauty of that when we develop the ability to lack nothing and still be hungry. So what if, what if the trials that you're going through right now, what if those trials were actually gift wrapping and ribbon? Granted, it could be that kind of ribbon that people put on packages that you can't break and you can't get through unless you have scissors or a really good pocket knife, right? Everybody knows the ribbon I'm talking about. But what if trials, what if trials were the gift wrapping and the ribbon that were just waiting to be torn into to reveal the most precious and most beautiful gift that you've ever received in your life? What if that is what God had in mind. What if the excitement that you get, that we talked about, that you experience when you know that you're giving somebody a gift that is going to bring an emotional response? What if the trial that you're going through right now, that your father in heaven can't wait for you to tear that open and to rip that paper off, to rip through that trial so that he could watch the joy that would come out of you when you discover the gift that's in the midst of that trial. What if? What if we changed our perspective on hard times? What if we just came up a little higher into God's lap and let him show us his view of what we're going through right now? So I'm going to ask everybody to do this. I want you to close your eyes, if you would. And I want to invite you to whatever the struggle is in your life right now. Maybe it's, maybe, maybe you've lost your job through these times, through COVID. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've lost some work, some income. Maybe... Maybe your marriage is really in a difficult place. Maybe you're struggling with health issues. Maybe you're struggling with depression. Maybe you're struggling with addiction today. See, all the devil wants you to do is to focus on that trial. And he's trying to use those things in your life to bring accusation against you and to tell you a lie to say you can't take that to God. Because it's your fault. So right now, I want you, whatever that is that you're going through, I want you to, if whatever this takes for you, if you put your hand on your heart, if you need to put your hand on your Bible right now, whatever that, if you need to put your, your hands on your head, on your mind, and I want you to speak, and I want you to say, accusation is a lie. Accusation against me is a lie. 
Father, if there is anything in me that you are wanting to put a finger on, I open my heart to you and I give you full authority to put your finger on it in my heart. God, your finger is gentle and it is merciful and it is kind and it is full of grace and it is full of love. So now, if God put his finger on anything, right now, just very simply say, Father, I repent. I turn away from that and I run to you. Put my feet on the path that brings me back to you. Now we've got that settled and we've got it taken care of. So stay right where you're at. And now whatever the trial is, whatever the difficulty is, and it it may be days, it may be years that you've been dealing with it. I want you to ask God right now, God, give me your perspective on this trial. Bring me up higher and let the joy that you have put on the inside of me by your spirit, let that joy be the thing that is like a, like air that when waves come crashing in on me, that joy is what just keeps on popping me up to the surface. It keeps on bringing me up. It keeps on raising me up that there is no storm that can hold me down. And Father, as you are giving me fresh perspective on this trial, that it is nothing that isn't to be torn into and torn apart, and I will receive the gift that is in this. Father, give me your perspective on it. And if there's anybody that you don't know and it is settled with all confidence and boldness on the inside of you that you have given your heart to God, that you have invited Jesus to come into your life and that Jesus has opened the door to a relationship with a good father for you. If you have not settled that right now is the opportunity for you to do that. Just say, I give you my heart. God, I give you my heart, Jesus. Thank you for being the doorway to the Father for me. And I give you my heart. I invite you in. Change me. Begin to walk with me. And I walk with you and I'll follow you. And you'll teach me and I'll grow and I'll learn. So if that is you right now, just take, just take these moments just to get that settled. Because you need that boldness in the times that we're living in. You need that boldness. You need that confidence. You need that strength of faith on the inside of you. And without that relationship, you don't have that yet. But saying yes to God, that's what opens that door. So Father, I thank you that today, that everyone that is listening to this and everyone that will be listening to this, that trials are no longer anything that scares us, that as a matter of fact, the devil is going to start being afraid to send trials to us because every time he does, we just get stronger, we get more powerful, and we even rise higher. And so, Father, I thank you that our perspective on trials and difficulties are ones that we are not afraid of it, we don't back down from it, we don't try and get out of it, but, Father, we press into it, we tear it apart, and we get the gift of heaven that is on the inside of it. And we thank you for your son, Jesus. And we thank you for what you're doing and the breakthrough that is on the way. And if you have breakthrough on the way, I want you to put your hand out right now. And Father, we take hold of on earth as it is in heaven because it is within our reach. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Mr. Kenneth.